wonder if you've ever felt like the odd one out. That you just don't fit in with everybody around. A friend of mine felt like that. Uh, He was unemployed for a while. And he wanted to stay active, so he took up swimming in his local swimming pool. One day, as he got into the pool, he noticed a group of people who were doing water aerobics. And so he thought he would join them. So he followed along with all of their exercises. But then at the end of the session, people started to climb out of the pool. And he was really surprised as the first person who climbed out of the pool was an expectant mother. He was even more surprised when the next person to get out of the pool was also a pregnant woman. In fact, everybody else in that exercise class were expectant mothers. And it was only then that he realised that he actually had been part of a woman's prenatal exercise class. He was the odd one out in a real sense. I think in some way that's how Thomas felt when he first heard the news that Jesus had risen from the dead. He was the odd one out because he couldn't enter into their excitement and their joy. He couldn't believe what they said without seeing what they saw. So we're going to read from John chapter 20 and start from verse 24 down to the end of the chapter. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, in that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now we don't know why the other ten disciples We're all together on that resurrection night, but not Thomas. We don't know why, as as verse 24 says, Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Was it that he felt that he had to deal with his grief over Jesus' death on his own? 
Or did he have other responsibilities to attend to? Or was he so disillusioned with the events of Good Friday that he didn't feel as if he could face the others? We don't know. But we do know what he missed because of that decision. Thomas didn't visit the empty tomb. He didn't see the folded grave clothes. He didn't hear the excited report from Mary Magdalene or from the two on the road to Emmaus. And most importantly of all, he didn't meet the risen Christ. He missed hearing Jesus declare his resurrection peace and commission them to go and to share the good news of his forgiveness and the promise of his presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a serious reminder, folks, of just how important it is for us to meet together as a church as much as we're able. Hebrews 10, verse 25 says this, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Often when we're struggling, when we're going through difficult times, when we're really upset, we can be tempted to pull away from fellowship, to isolate ourselves from our church family, just to try and cope on our own. But as Christians, we need each other. We need to meet together. We need to encourage each other. We need to seek God's presence together and listen to His Word together. If we choose to stay away like Thomas did, you never know what we might miss. So please don't miss out. Instead, let's be a church like the early church, the first century church, who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So Thomas, he wasn't there on that Sunday evening. And so he missed out on meeting the Lord. And so later in that week, (coughs) when Thomas eventually turned up, he must have been so shocked. Instead of his friends being discouraged and dejected and defeated, Instead, they were filled with excitement and joy. They shared with them the most incredible news. We have seen the Lord. In fact, John writes here, uses a a tense that means that they kept on telling Thomas. They were so full of joy that they went on and on and on about how amazing the experience was of meeting Jesus. How wonderful it was to know that Jesus was alive. But Thomas couldn't share in that excitement or joy. Instead he said to them, verse 25, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, 
and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Now literally, Thomas said, I positively will not believe. It was like he was saying, guys, I don't believe and that's it. End of conversation. And I don't want to hear about it anymore. Had that kind of finality about it. I will not believe. For Thomas, the resurrection of Jesus was too big a deal just to accept on the basis of what the other disciples said. He refused to take their word for it. He refused to accept the evidence that they presented to him. He wouldn't believe unless he saw and touched the risen Christ for himself. And so for that week, Thomas was on the fringe of that group. Not understanding, not entering into their joy. Uncomfortable. Isolated. The odd one out. Now maybe that's how you feel this morning. You're here this morning and you just feel just like Thomas. Maybe you have a nagging doubt that all this talk about Jesus dying and rising again is just too far-fetched. Maybe it sounds unreasonable to you. Maybe it sounds like a, a comforting myth or an elaborate hoax. Or maybe you struggle with some other aspect of the Gospel. Maybe you don't feel loved by God this morning. Maybe you struggle to believe that you've been accepted by Him. Completely forgiven. Adopted into His family. Or maybe you doubt whether your life will ever be transformed. Whether you could ever really live out this life that God has called you to. Or experience His power in you. Maybe you look around at church this morning and you feel like the odd one out. Can I please just say to you, you're not. You're not the odd one out here. Thomas, he probably felt like the odd one out, but really he wasn't. I know that he's often called by people doubting Thomas. But I think that's unfair. Because as we've seen throughout this chapter of John chapter 20, as we'll be looking at it, most of the, the disciples struggled to believe in the resurrection of Jesus until they saw him for themselves. Do you remember when they heard from the woman about the message or from the angels? Luke tells us they did not believe the woman because the word seemed to them like nonsense. Or when Peter saw the folded grave clothes in the empty tomb, 
he went away wondering to himself what had happened. The disciples didn't believe the first reports that Jesus was alive. They needed to be convinced through irrefutable evidence. And even then, after all these events, some of them still struggled to believe. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, it says in Matthew chapter 28, when the disciples, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But look at that. But some doubted. Even at that point, some of the disciples were still struggling to believe. So Thomas wasn't the odd one out in this group of disciples. In many ways, he was just like the rest of them. Struggling to believe without seeing the evidence for himself. Doubts are something that most of us, if not all of us, experience. There's a guy called Martin Lloyd-Jones, very famous Welsh preacher. And he said this, Doubts are not incompatible with faith. Some people seem to think that once you become a Christian, you should never be assailed by doubts. But that is not so. Doubts will attack us. But that does not mean that we need to allow them to master us. So folks, if you're struggling this morning with faith, Please, don't condemn yourself. We can be honest and authentic about our doubts because really, we're all in the same boat here. This is a common struggle. If you're here with your doubts, you're in a place where you can be honest about that. And you can bring them And you can challenge them. Because yes, we all struggle with doubts, but that doesn't mean we need to just live in those doubts. Let those doubts dominate us. Or as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, to master us. This doesn't mean that we need to miss out on the joy and the excitement of what the risen Christ wants to give to us. Because Jesus didn't leave Thomas in his doubts. Instead, a week later, he appeared to the disciples again for the express purpose of helping Thomas overcome his doubts. The disciples were again together. This time Thomas was there. The doors were locked again. And Jesus' first words again were, Peace be with you. As we saw last week, only the risen Christ can give us real peace. Peace with God. Peace with each other. Peace with ourselves. 
But then Jesus turned to Thomas. And he said, verse 27, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Jesus knew all about Thomas's doubts. He knew what he had decided and he knew what he had said. But he didn't condemn Thomas. He didn't reject Thomas. He didn't discard him and exclude him from his family. Well, Thomas, if that's what you think, then go away. I want nothing to do with you. No, instead, he gently and graciously offered Thomas the evidence that he demanded so that he could believe. He showed Thomas those nail marks in his hands and the wound from the spear in his side. Now, of course, Jesus didn't need to do this. Thomas had no right to demand this of Jesus. But in love and grace, Jesus did this to help Thomas move from doubt to faith. Stop doubting and believe. And Jesus wants to help us with our faith struggles as well. Of course, today we can't physically see Jesus face to face. But that doesn't mean that we just need to miss out. That doesn't mean we need to kind of shrug our shoulders and say, oh well, I just need to live in this place of doubt. Jesus said that even although we can't see him today, we can be especially blessed. Even more so than Thomas. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Believing without seeing. That doesn't mean though we we need to have a blind faith. That we just need to believe without any evidence. You know, just close our eyes and jump into faith. What it means is that we can look at the other convincing proofs that we do have that Jesus rose from the dead. That's, of course, why John wrote his gospel. We've been reading this verse numerous times, uh, verse 13, verse 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written... That you may believe. And so today, we have the Bible. We have the historical record of the empty tomb that was written within living memory of the events it describes. We have the inability of the Roman or the religious authorities to refute the resurrection claims of the disciples by producing a body. We have the testimony of those who saw the folded grave clothes, who heard the angel message, and who saw the risen Lord for themselves. We have the transformation of these disciples from a weak and and fearful group 
into a world-changing community. We have the willingness of the disciples to suffer and die for their faith without ever retracting their claims to have seen the risen Lord. And we also have the continuing impact of Jesus on people's lives today, including many of us here who can testify to the fact that Jesus has changed our lives. This morning, we don't need to see Jesus face to face to be convinced that Jesus is alive. We can simply examine the evidence that we do have, that is available, and we can move from doubt to faith. But if we do this, then we need to respond like Thomas responded. When he saw Jesus and was invited to put his finger into his nail-scarred hands and his hand into his spear-pierced side, Thomas declared, My Lord and my God. This is an unmistakably clear declaration of the deity of Jesus. For Thomas, the resurrection proved to him who Jesus really is. He is not only fully man, a human being, he is also fully God. As Paul wrote that Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God, equal with the Father, by his resurrection. And so, in many ways, Thomas's words here are the high point, the pinnacle, the summit of John's Gospel. It's what all of John's Gospel is pointing towards. This is the key question that John wanted us to understand. And to be able to answer, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This is what he wants all of us to be sure about, to be certain of. Because this is how he actually started his gospel. Remember, way back in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And this is what numerous people throughout this Gospel have testified to. People like John the Baptist, Nathaniel, Peter, the healed blind man, and Martha. They have all declared that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Holy One. He is God Himself. And this is what Jesus has also claimed through his seven I am sayings and his seven I am statements and what he demonstrated through his seven miraculous signs. And amazingly, 
God chose Thomas. The one everybody calls the doubting Thomas. To conclude all of this convincing evidence. To be the, the accumulation of all of these declarations of who Jesus really is. And finally, Thomas declares, my Lord and my God. For me, it encourages me that God will accept my faith in Jesus, even though at times I struggle, just like all of you, with faith and doubt. But crucially, Thomas didn't just declare who Jesus was. He didn't just declare the identity of Jesus. He said more than that when he said, My Lord and my God. In the Roman Empire at that time, people worshipped the emperor. John and his reader were probably familiar with devotees who would chant their slogan, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. So when Thomas said, My Lord and my God to Jesus... He was rejecting the emperor's claims on his worship. Instead, he was personally declaring his allegiance to Jesus. He was committing himself to Jesus and accepting his rule over his life. Now, I don't think many of us are going to worship our leaders. Are we? Not many of us are going to worship our T-shirt or our president. But there are so many false gods in the world today, aren't there? Gods of money or career or family or possessions or sports or popularity or just even our own satisfaction, our own desires. But we are called to reject all of those false gods and instead personally trust in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. Commit our lives to Him and accept Him as sovereign over us. This is the only appropriate response to believing in Jesus. Folks, we cannot receive Jesus into our lives if we're not willing to bow before Him and allow Him to be Lord of it all. As Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Christianity is about denying ourselves and laying down our lives before Jesus. Giving Him everything because He deserves it. And of course, this is a challenge. This is a costly thing. But if we do this, what we gain is far greater 
Those scars that, that Jesus showed Thomas, they were a record of his payment for their sins. His resurrection is a proof that that payment for our sins was accepted by God. They are the receipt proving that if we trust in Him, then nothing more is required for us to be right with God. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. You will be forgiven. You will be accepted into God's family. So through his faith in Jesus, Thomas experienced real, abundant, eternal life. Through bowing before Jesus and accepting him as his Lord and his God. He received a new life with a new nature, a new power and a place in heaven that's guaranteed forever. And you and I have that same opportunity today to receive all of this. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter where we've come from. It doesn't matter what issues that we struggle with. If we put our faith in Jesus, then we experience life in all His fullness. John wrote his gospel so that we would believe in Jesus and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So if we examine the evidence... And we put our trust in Jesus as the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives. Then no matter what it costs us, no matter whether it's a cost in terms of denying what we want to do in our lives, it talks about, no matter if it involves repentance from some attitudes or behaviors that become a habit in our life, no matter if it means facing up to the ridicule from others, whether it makes demands of us in terms of sharing our faith with others, or God wants to completely revolutionize our life and take us somewhere else to serve Him, no matter what it costs, it's worth it. It is worth it. Because Jesus offers us life to the full. He's the only one who can give us life in all its fullness. Those nail-scarred hands and that spear-pierced side declare that Jesus is alive. And because of that, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him. So Thomas may have initially been the odd one out. However, when he was confronted with the evidence, he became a powerful witness to the reality of who Jesus is and what he can do in our lives. And I pray that even although we have not seen Jesus face to face, we too will believe in him. And we too will accept him as our Savior and as our Lord. And as a result of that, we will experience life in all its fullness for his glory.